What's up, and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? It's hot out here, again, <laughs> like a broken record. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's going to be like this for the rest of our lives, unfortunately, because this yes. is just uh, the current reality we live in. But you know what else is hot? The content streets. We oh, got yeah couple movies to talk about big movies i'd say a couple of big albums to talk about as well and some big news out of san diego comic-con so if you want to be catching all this heat right when it drops hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod or go to our twitter at nostalgia pod and follow our link tree to follow the podcast any way that you want to dave we're going to start in san diego this past weekend comic-con finally came if i feel like we're always kind of like leading up to it and like it's just like oh it's here um obviously it's it is this time of year every year but just feels ever present like what's the next news what when's marvel gonna drop this 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 and it does feel like marvel has co-opted comic-con at this point like it's just about the marvel announcements right uh this time it was yeah they don't go every year you know and kind of surprising that they did go this year because this is a year for d23 the disney specific event and i think that's a big thing in general across industries where people can do their own events and control their own messaging and don't necessarily need to participate in some of these more institutional events traditional media you know uh apparatuses nonetheless they're there you know going doing hall h after doing an animation presentation the day before and definitely was the biggest news out of San Diego Comic-Con, which is the biggest Comic-Con for this kind of news. And definitely, um, you know, it's, it's funny because there was so much fanfare, so much attention as the news was trickling out, but so much of it really wasn't news at all until the very end when they announced two new Avengers movies, you know? But yeah. for the most part, I, I wasn't too surprised with this. And I'm curious to see if we're, this is like the part one, of the announcements this year and there's anything following this at d23 maybe d23 is more granular which is like casting per se the fantastic four who's directing fantastic four stuff like that or maybe they go even further than this i'm not sure but um you know the dates they gave us the titles they gave us changed some titles 2024 which is you know a year and a half away still pretty barren on the release calendar for marvel obviously they have claimed dates we don't know what that stuff is uh, this is not has hadn't to this point been their strategy to keep things closer to the vest, but it feels like they're doing that with the movies, or maybe just because the TV is so ever present in their their phases. You know, it's like they feel like they've released a lot of news and information about future projects. But to me, I just don't value the TV in that way until proven otherwise. Yeah, you know, it, I was actually just reflecting on how hard they're really trying to make the TV a thing. Because uh, one of the big announcements of Phase 5 and 6 is that Kang is going to be the like big bad for this next like right. multiverse series. And the multiverse saga. saga is our new saga. And, <laughs> you know, if you haven't watched the Marvel TV shows, specifically Loki, you don't even know who Kang is at this point. Right. And it's like, uh, I guess that's you can just watch the movies and just wait till you see him in Ant Man and the Wasp, uh, whatever, three. Yeah, yeah, three that's coming up in um, 
believe it's 2023 february yeah that's, but, that's the next one the first one of next year but it's like man they're really just trying to make it so you have to consume everything just giving these little crumbs to like make sense of the things to come and i don't know mm. it's, yeah. I, I can't i can't get excited for she hulk i'm sorry i just can't <laughs> right well and, and to this point you really you didn't really need to watch wandavision to understand dr strange too and I'm not so sure you need to watch Loki to understand how Kang works. They're going to do some more work in the movies for the average fan, average viewer. Uh, I'm, I'm, I have no doubt about that. So the essentialness, you know, is right. open question. It's the, the con- connectivity, which was so novel. So uh, give people such a sense of investment through that infinity saga. We haven't really felt anything setting up Kang and this multiverse saga through this phase four, which we now know is ending at the end of this year, Black Panther 2. Basically a whole one of their phases that didn't really seem to push any of that grander MCU storytelling forward at all, which is not necessarily a problem. I like things being non-connected. It's just kind of funny the way they frame all this stuff, you know? Um, And in terms of any of the other news, you know, you got the Daredevil series officially confirmed coming in 2024, but we knew Charlie Cox as Daredevil was coming back after seeing him in No Way Home, after hearing he was going to be in Echo, the Hawkeye spinoff, and Vincent D'Onofrio showing up in Hawkeye, play, re- reprising his role as Kingpin. So, like, it's not really surprising, you know? No. Um, Thunderbolts movie was already, there's real reporting about the director of that film so that's not that shocking i think that has interesting potential as a you know suicide squad-esque marvel movie in terms of the bad guys the villains the anti-heroes being your stars in that such as uh, wyatt russell's uh, u.s agent character and perhaps florence Pugh is in there um who knows you know they, they have options but that, that at least some interest interesting potential i suppose but um did you find it kind of interesting that these Avengers movies are both coming out in the same year as of right now, both coming out in 2025? Infinity War and Endgame, of course, were May and May, year back-to-back years. But to have both of them come out in the span of like seven months, doesn't that seem kind of kind of odd? I don't know. Like from, from a money-making standpoint, you could definitely maximize things. But regardless, like, I don't know. Like, they just, they're like, oh, we don't have anything left to fill in from a storytelling perspective, we might as well just finish this two-part like event crossover movie. I'm not that, that that raised my eyebrow. Yeah, I, I definitely thought that was interesting, especially having <clears throat> um, Secret Wars, the second of the two Avengers movies, that's coming mm-hmm. out in 2025, coming a year after the Fantastic Four drops in uh, November of 2024. You know, so th- there's a lot of like stuff to fill in um, in, in the next you know three years before we get there kind of crazy that we're talking about movies that are going to be coming out in three years from now um and i i mean i i would be really surprised if these dates are solid dates you know i think they're putting them out there to get excitement to kind of give people the sense that there's this plan but i i I can't imagine that we're going to be seeing both of those in 2025 we'll probably get one one will probably get pushed back to the following may just kind of way it works yep yeah i mean at the end of the day like i said a lot of titles title changes, dates, date confirmations, things like that. At the end of the day, this Marvel Cinematic Universe, Kevin Foggy, San Diego Comic-Con panel at Hall H 
only confirmed two movies that we had no idea existed and one series that we kind of knew existed daredevil and the two vendors movies if you want to give them a third movie credit for thunderbolts because it wasn't officially announced fine but those are the only four things that weren't previously officially announced kind of wild right we're talking about stuff in 2025 to from from now till then and there's actually only three new or four new things across movies and tv it just it felt like there was so much fanfare then when you actually think about it there wasn't actually that much information so like i said d23 i i don't think we're gonna get like the x-men blow up about whatever they're gonna do in x-men that's probably just still far off and we're not gonna hear that anytime soon but it just feels like d23 they'll talk about Man, they probably won't talk about Spider-Man, though, because of Sony. So I don't know what they'll talk about. Like, we know Shang-Chi 2 is in development, but we had not heard nothing about that. Deadpool 3, no no, no signs of that either. So I don't know. I would, if I had to bet money on the big announcement at D23, it's probably going to be the casting for Fantastic Four, yeah. if, if anything. And then, um, you know, maybe a couple other, like, casting tidbits. Maybe they'll give some directors who are going to be taking on things. I mean, it's, you know, Secret Wars is like, very very interesting to me only because the runtime for um endgame and infinity war was already like pushing it we're like talking three-hour movies that i was happy to sit through incredibly satisfying but they're three-hour movies secret (laughs) war with all the characters and all the different multiverse you know uh timelines that are going to be interceding in that that's going to be a fucking crazy project to to tie everything in give everything the time it yeah. needs we could be talking three hours plus so yeah. I, uh, I have to imagine they're in talks with the russo brothers to come back to make those movies and we'll talk about them later with the gray man which just came mm-hmm. out on netflix they got their fill did some non-marvel properties uh titles you know original stuff more or less and now they're like, all right c- come back take take a new bag from us and make this fucking work because we don't know who else to ask. That's what that's kind of yeah. what I, I think about it. Uh, I just quick note: we finally got the Black Panther two show. I think it looks awesome. Can't wait for that. Ryan Coogler, that is that guy. And officially, we yeah. know that Namor is in fact in that movie. That was kind of suggested, although not truly reported at, at credible outlets. Now it's now it's official. That's exciting. Um, other than that, though, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot more to think about oh there's so many we know about so many tv shows man you know we yeah. already know about all this shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i think the only like like i agree kind of forever looks great my main takeaway from that was i could never have guessed uh, uh kendrick lamar and bob marley mashup would work that well but uh got me hyped man that that uh all right with um that's right we got uh i think they both are called all right or i forget the bob marley song name but yeah awesome mashup looking forward to that but I think that wraps it up for San Diego Comic-Con. Let's move on to Lil Uzi Vert, who we've, we haven't talked about in a few years now. Yeah. Uh, last time we were talking about him was his what, team up with Future, right? The Pluto mm-hmm. and Baby Pluto? No, no, no. It was after that. It was Eternal Take. The... Oh, the, sorry. I had him flipped. I yeah, yeah. Him. Eternal Take, if people might forget. That came out the last weekend of the pre-pandemic times. Yes. Oh, I remember. Yeah. It was a surprise <laughs> drop at that because it was widely hyped and anticipated and then kind of came out of nowhere, which was very exciting. And for me, I had that in my top 10 albums in 2020. I really liked it. Uh, been an Uzi fan for some time. Uzi's been in our lives for a long time at this point, too. And keeping up the trend of not really actually releasing all that much music all that often. 
So when you do get something from him, I think it's exciting to hear what he's doing because he is one of the more interesting uh, artists in that trap space. And we have this red and white EP, which also has myriad quirks about its release because if you go on Spotify at this time of recording, it is a five-track EP. However, if you go on SoundCloud, where he you know, originally released it like uh, into the night as he was hyping it up on social media, it actually has, I think, six other tracks, is it? I think so, yeah. And he's been dropping them as like Lucy's. singles kind of on Spotify is how they kind of come up. That's correct. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Yeah, so six other tracks, which are on Spotify. You can still listen to them there, but they're all individual Lucy's. Seems like a distribution issue. They'll probably sort this out and it'll eventually be an all-in-one thing on Spotify. But right now you have to find that on SoundCloud to get it all in one thing. Either way, uh, you get this new uh, new project from Uzi, which is not the one you've been hyping up, which is called The Pink Tape, which he says is coming out. Looking forward to that still. But this Red and White EP, for what we got, whether you listen to just the five tracks, you listen to everything out there all at once, I actually think it's uh, right in line with you know some of the best qualities that Uzi delivers in terms of energy, quirks in his performance, and just bringing some kind of unique character to this type of music yeah. where it honestly met my expectations. I thought there was a lot of fun stuff on here. Yeah, I, there's definitely a lot of fun stuff. Uh, I think it was a bit more hit and miss for me, but the songs that hit, I thought really hit. Like for me, uh, Glock in My Purse and Final Fantasy really stood out as just two absolute banger tracks. A couple of the ones you know before on the five song EP, Cigarette for Fun, uh, Cigarette and for Fun were bit more miss for me um mm-hmm. i didn't really like those ones as much but yeah wrapping up that five track one with the glock in my purse and final fantasy was great and of the lucy's i thought hitting my shoulder was pretty good yeah. um so yeah I, I mean i was pretty pleased especially because i wasn't expecting to get something right. like this from him so i'll take what i can get yeah i think that that's kind of whether it's intentional on his and his team's part or not that's kind of the appeal it's like, oh new uzi music oh it's pretty good how exciting you know <laughs> uh yeah i agree on final fantasy for sure i thought that was just the energy of that it, it is awesome but honestly this song would be a amazing square enix marketing for the next final mm. fantasy game just the stuff he says final fantasy this a new life final fantasy that's a sex pill <laughs> like there's just some funny ass shit he's talking about uh i like that one a lot uh glock in my purse though i think has a few interesting things about it he's just kind of funny with his one line is like he's just saying weird things about like yeah. the semantics of like that's a backpack you know it's not a purse, <laughs> right. stuff like that's really funny but then later on towards the end of the song he talks about his dad uh making assumptions about uh we i believe his sexuality due to the way he was dressing growing mm-hmm. up and it's like you know i can't help but think of hearing that line as uzi has recently decided to go by uh they them pronouns as well mm-hmm. so something he definitely thinks about and he's always someone who's marched the beat of his own drum and how he presents himself out in the world lest we forget recently he had a diamond mounted on his yes. forehead so he's a <laughs> one of one we know this uh, i thought cigarette i did enjoy his flow on that he made some kind of like like sometimes like he just like does digressions with his lines where mm-hmm. it's like they're almost like non sequiturs but he's like saying like weird things or like presenting these like funny observations and like this sometimes it's nonsensical but sometimes i just i just laugh you know uh yeah also from a style wise it's a hit which i didn't like too much but it is notable that that is very much in like the rage like modern day whole lot of red playboy cardi mold you know Mm. in terms of the genre not something uzi is really dabbled in all that much then he throws in a normal verse later 
but I was like, huh, I wonder if he's gonna go down that go down the Cardi lane. Who's to say? But yeah, and also in terms of the the Lucy's, I like Space Cadet as well. I thought that one's pretty catchy. Yeah, that was another one that, that I really liked a lot too. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Uzi just continues to be uh, a very singular type of artist, and I I think it's always nice to see him pop up, whether that's how they want it to be or not. It's always exciting. So check out Red and White, the EP, and those Lucy's as well. We, we'll be putting one or two on our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist. But Dave. Let's move forward to Flo Millie dropping her newest album. You still here, Ho? <laughs> this past Wednesday. And, um, you know, a lot of places are saying this is her, like, first proper debut album. Um, Ho, Why Is You Here in 2020, to me, is, like, the first time I was really, like, introduced to her. Yeah. And the debut uh, mixtape. And obviously, I think, in my mind, that's her debut. But, uh, sure. You know, people are gonna use the semantics of what's a mixtape nowadays. Uh, I I think not only does this continue the things that made her great on Ho, why is you why is you here? But yeah. it actually elevates a lot of it. And I was mm-hmm. really impressed. The first half of this album I think is really really exciting with a lot of um, tone switch ups and uh, beat uh, beat like uniqueness. But then the second half started to feel a little bit. Mm, samey to me and so I, uh-huh. I found myself losing a little bit of interest but i was really pleased with this yeah i think that's that's right it, it's it's more polished and expensive sounding <laughs> appearing but also not completely polished it's not she's not a fine uh, a final product yet no. which is totally cool obviously she hasn't been at this all that long someone who came into where she is now due to genuine tiktok success during the early days of tiktok at least the the, time, the the version of TikTok that no longer exists anyway. And yeah, I mean, in terms of that, the debut tape, which we liked a lot when it came out in 2020, I mean, some people liked it, uh, I think a little more than us because Rolling Stone put it on their top 500 best out, al- best hip hop albums of all time, which I think is a bit of a bit of a take, you know, I, yeah. I like it a lot, but I don't know how you can really justify that tapes like place in hip hop, you know, um, yeah that's not Flo Millie's fault. She didn't put herself on that list. So don't, you know, don't take it the wrong way, but that, that was, that was a funny note, I think with that list, which that list has a lot of things going on with it too. This is, that's hardly <laughs> the, the most egregious thing on there. Um, so yeah, you have this debut album, which kind of came out of nowhere. You know, she had like some loose singles recently, relatively recently, like roaring twenties, which popped up on here's a bonus track. And I think she released one other song like in the last week or two, but I wasn't actually expecting this coming this soon. Nonetheless, I, I definitely agree that it, especially in the beginning, I think there's some really kind of like the song structures are, are just a bit more advanced now where like you, her signature flow, she switches it up more on this at the end of the day, she can feel a little samey, like, like a samey, like filler flow Millie track, but you kind of know what that sounds like. Now you kind of know her like most familiar flow to her, probably her most comfortable way to rap, but she doesn't always do that. And, Sometimes those songs can like really bubble up and sound quite appealing. Uh, I do think it's interesting that probably the most talked about song to this point, which is about towards the end, actually, would be Big Steppa, which has a wild ass beat. And Flo Millie really sounds great on it. And then you look it up, you're like, oh, wait, this is a Dr. Luke beat. What's going on with that? But it's a good song. (laughs) Yeah. 
yeah it's it, it's hard to sometimes uh sit with the fact that bad people can make good art um yeah. but yeah definitely tough um but yeah i agree i think that beat is pretty great and i think that song in general is probably one of my favorites in the back half in that first half though i thought that first three song run or four song run come outside bedtime hottie and conceited actually even pbc i thought were all really really strong and really like varying right like bedtime has a little bit of like a i don't even know like a middle eastern almost like a like get your freak on type feel to it <laughs> in a sense but then a couple of these are just like thumpers right yeah like uh conceited um has that like almost like grimy like kind of just like spindly feel to it pbc is an absolute thumper like really love that i i, I just was really impressed with this first run and then like you mm. said that second half you kind of get into more of the like oh this is a flow millie track and it's just kind of like a regular like mid-level flow millie track um but still i think she's elevated herself to the point where even when it's a filler track like that there's still some interesting moments you can find right well i think something that's nice about the music she's made to this point is she really always keeps it high energy you yeah. know whether it's some she's more serious or it's really light really fun just just stunning whatever it is the energy the the, the banger quality or banger nature is, is often present so yeah, I, I think um doesn't actually change my opinion of Flo Millie, but it doesn't, you know, I'm still enthusiastic about her and looking forward to hearing more music from her. You know, th this is truly like that first, like really properly incubated, like major label rap album from her. So um, in a sense, it's like just more confirmation that there's more, more good stuff to come. I don't see how you could think anything else. I kind of wanted more from Payday with Rico. Um, I was going to say, it's not their first song together either, but I've never really loved any of their collaborations. You'd think they would kind of be two peas in a pod because they have, they're, they're both very unique personalities, but also do really high energy rap. Um, and maybe Rico could bring something even a bit more atypical and abnormal out of Flo Millie at one would hope, but it doesn't, it didn't really seem to work out there. Yeah, I agree. Um, just real quick. I usually skip through intros and outros and skits nowadays, unless it's really like a album. I want to like get the understanding of why having New York from I love New York through the outro really caught my attention yeah, <laughs> and the intro thought that was pretty awesome. So uh, shout out to her. Um, but yeah, Flo Milling, I think an artist that we continue to monitor on the rise, but you mentioned Rico nasty who also dropped a new project this weekend. Uh, her first one since Nightmare Vacation, Las mm -hmm. Ruinas. Yes, man. Uh, I so my, I've, listen, I've listened to this a couple of times because I really was just like taken aback by this. You know, Enrico Nasty continues to be an artist that I think it's hard. Is she's hard to pin down exactly like what lane she's in or what she's trying to accomplish or yeah. what she wants to accomplish. And I think that's makes it really interesting and really awesome. I I found this to be an incredibly up and down project where when it hit i was like wow this is fucking next level shit and when it didn't hit i found it to be just incredibly dull <laughs> and so I, I think that that's kind of like rico's mo for these albums right like she yeah. has songs that just really are like wow this is incredible and the songs where you're just like yeah pretty mid yeah I, I think at the end of the day she is so unique as a rapper and 
she's always been authentic like this whole time getting to this point that I do really find myself rooting for her. Um, this is officially her eighth mixtape. She said it herself on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, follow, her first project following up the debut album, Nightmare Vacation, end of 2020. So it's been a little bit. She's been hyping up a mixtape called RX since then. I'm not sure if Las Arenas is what became of RX or they're two separate things. Not really sure. But yeah, I, I definitely wasn't expecting this much like genre and like tonal variety and range on this. She's done all kinds of sounds already. Yeah. But usually she kind of hones into like a, a genre lane on a project, you know, at least the last few projects anyway. I think what most took me with this was I was expecting it to be kind of more like black punk and like Rico bringing some kind of like punk, like rock 2022 S rock stylings to her hip hop. Cause it would fit her aesthetic. It would fit her energy. It would actually feel pretty authentic. It wouldn't really feel like trend chasing if she did it, but she didn't do that all that much on this, or at least not as much as I expected. Next thing I know there's like EDM on here. And not the EDM I expected to hear if there was any either. I would have expected to hear lots of hyper pop a la the Dylan Brady produced iPhone off Nightmare Vacation, a song I really love, mm-hmm. was on my top 10 that year. But even though Gex is here on a great song, uh, yeah. got to get paid. Oh, yeah. The EDM I do hear on this is much more traditional, like looping like trance. And there's a, a genuine marshmallow feature here, <laughs> which... Seemed like something she really wanted because this is a mixtape. Atlantic didn't really invest in one of these like it would have for the album. So she really wanted to make a song with, with Mellow, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I, I do have to say this is like the first Marshmallow song I've listened to. And I was like, wow, this actually goes pretty hard. Like, doesn't sound like it. one of his songs. That's why. No, that's it. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I was definitely surprised at what we did get in the EDM sphere. Well, you mentioned Gots to Get Paid. I think that run from one on five through Blow Me is like yeah. by far the like strongest part of this album. Black Punk and Early Standout. And then she kind of hits this like softer. I don't even really, really know what she's going for in the second half to right. the end of the album. But I mean, it really Easy has acoustic guitars. Yeah, which I don't think I've ever heard her do before. It's almost like an X, like she's going in like an XX Tentacion direction yeah. with this right. sound, which is like varying in terms of success. Like Focus on Me, I thought was really like a great love song, almost kind of like love off um, Kendrick Lamar's Damn, you know, like kind right, of that sure. sort of standout. But then you get Easy, Into the Dark and Chicken Nugget, which are all sort of in that same realm. And I'm like, okay, I got enough of this. I want to go back to the the yeah. badass Rico at this point. And I just want to say real quick, like her styling on the album, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see on my background, she really looks like Eve's Tumor a lot in mm, this and like sure. there's definitely some like rock <laughs> and like hip-hop like vibes blending there so i would i would love to see them collaborate on some music moving forward but yeah, yeah th- she's definitely trying for something here yeah well you know in in between nightmare vacation and now uh infamously rico was opening up for playboy cardi on the king vamp tour and she caught a lot of abuse opening up over a few shows from cardi fans in attendance and she was like really depressed and not having a good time which is really disappointing for many levels and cardi obvi- and also didn't really do much to publicly support her which was not great good to see at all i have to figure like listen to the lyrics that like back half that back back little chunk of songs to end las arenas i think that's what she's getting at there and like her mind space and she seems to be in a much better place now and 
Mm-hmm. I wasn't actually expecting to get a full project this soon, given where she had been at, yeah. you know, uh, publicly and personally. But uh, I think that's what she's getting at there. So, like, I can, like, you know, I therapy, catharsis for her. That's cool. Not music I'm actually going to go back to. Um, mm-hmm. Gots to Get Paid, I think, is the best song here because it's classic Rico rapping. It's, like, very reminiscent of probably her most famous style to this point which oh, is yeah. all her stuff with kenny beats made famous by smack a bitch which is her biggest song to this point and it's a gex song both dylan brady and laura less are there on production and co-writing they aren't doing like the traditional gex hyperpop you think of it's no. they're a bit more reined in on the production there i didn't i didn't think it was them until i had, i looked it up um but yeah i, I think that's that's the stuff I want most from Rico as a performer because she's just so good at like bringing out her rage mm-hmm. into her rapping, you know? And I, I think there's, there's other hints of that style throughout some of these performances, like, like on blow me a little bit when that beat yeah. drops in, you know, it's, it's all over. Uh, I agree with you on one on five as well. Um, but yeah, I think Gossip Paid is just, that's kind of like, that's like the ideal Rico song to me. You, you could almost like see her bouncing around on stage and like screaming the lyrics to that song when, when yeah. you're listening to it. Got to get paid was the clear highlight to me. That and Blow Me, I thought were like the two that really stood out. Blow Me is so interesting. It, it, I, when I was listening to this, I was almost like she's making songs that could be in like Blade or something like that, you know, mm. just like this like dark vampires type vibe. <laughs> and like Blow Me is like the exact like feeling for that or like i could have seen matt reeves like using some version of this in the batman for that really like grimy gotham feel to it sure and and i think the chorus on blow me is so fucking catchy and it's like Mm -hmm. so dirty and like sick and twisted but like i really really love it um and i i agree i think this is what i want to see from rico is her like channeling that rage and that intensity and that fire that she has into her music, but in varying ways. And I think blow yeah. me and got get paid are the exact uh, examples of that. Um, was there any other like moments on this that you really liked or really? Uh, yeah, I did to? have one moment that stood out to me on jungle Rico nasty remix, the song with Fred again, mm-hmm. you eventually get to that point. There's this huge, like, like drum and bass drop. It's like a big EDM song. Right. Yeah. And then at the point there's like this, like, part where the vocals are going like go 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 Mm -hmm. and it's like the the tempo that it's at it just immediately brought me back to um a tracks heads will row yeah yeah yeah's remix that was famously in like project x and stuff like that and i think that 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 would actually like for djing free tip would be like a perfect transition from the go 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 right into like the classic like refrain in the Mm -hmm. heads will roll remix i feel like that would sound perfect yeah 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 that's perfect. Uh, yeah. And I, I honestly was like taken aback by that, especially being kind of like right in the middle of the album, yeah. since the 17 tracks. But then when Rico's verse comes in, I was like, oh, this is fucking sick. Like, <laughs> And that, that's the, the thing is like when she's really giving that intensity, it really works. I do think like focus on me gives me some hope that Rico, who's only 25, is going to be able to like elevate and bring in different elements of her personality into her music in a successful way because focus on me i think is really a a wonderful love song um but i just think using that sort of element more sparingly or thoughtfully um 
but obviously this being a mixtape, she probably is just trying to get these tracks out and see what mm. works, see what doesn't. So right. I, I, I love this. And Rico is such an interesting artist. It's hard not to root for, in my opinion. So I agree. Why don't we uh, move on from Rico, but staying in the hip hop realm, a guy you just saw recently, Dave, Joey Badass, finally dropping that album. I guess he got that sample cleared, huh? <laughs> That's right. Joey Badass's third album, 2000, has finally come out about, gosh, what is it, four weeks, five weeks since the original date, which like conspicuously was the date that Drake last minute claimed for honestly, never mind. Uh, he says it was sample issues. He said it wasn't Drake when I saw him live on the 1999-2000 tour recently. Regardless, uh, we waited five years. We can wait a few more weeks. And sure. we did. And Joey makes that point right away on track one, the baddest. I can take five years off because my shit is timeless. Quite the yeah. boast. But I think the fans will be showing up for this one regardless. And a lot of anticipation for it for not just that length of wait which is pretty atypical for rappers in their prime but also because of the direct connection to his debut critically acclaimed mixtape 1999 which came out 10 years ago you're positioning this comeback album as the direct sequel to your most celebrated music putting a lot of hype and, and pressure on yourself to your fans and you know i i think it's an interesting album that i like a lot of things about but doesn't quite have the banger characteristics, the, the takeaway thumpers that I've had from all the other Joey albums one way or another. Um, I think it's much more into that storytelling bars Joey that 1999 was honestly most famous for. So I guess in that sense, it makes sense as a follow-up, but none of these songs at this point have, entered into my favorite Joey songs. And I just saw all those favorite Joey songs live at his show. Be curious to see what songs he takes out of that set list to add in songs from 2000 that are brand new, obviously TBD. But yeah, I think, I think it's kind of interesting because he's also still not that young, that old. He's 27, five year break. And he's still only 27. Again, he came up when he was so young, so he can afford to take time and do his thing, I suppose. Yeah, I think this is a incredibly like smooth album. I think there's a lot of, uh, like you said, really great story storytelling on this. Like a song like "Eulogy" really stands out to me as like one of his like best storytelling moments. I think there's a couple moments that I just found to be total duds. I think the last one, "Written in the Stars," not so great, especially after "Survivor's Guilt," which yeah. is another one of those like. Um, great storytelling and just yeah. like Joey totally taking you on a journey type song. So it felt like you maybe should have, I don't know, just ended after that in a sense. Right. But I was, I was still really um, enjoying the experience with this. It felt like a uh, callback to like some of his like hip hop roots or what initially made him yeah. fall in love and want to do this. So I, I appreciate the love, the love letter, I guess, but I agree. I don't think there's any like clear bangers on this. Right. Yeah. I mean, to, to that point, Static Selecta is all over this. Static Selecta really helped shape the sound of early Joey Badass. Also, it was his first tour DJ, you know, so you got a lot of static beats here. And I think at times those work really great. You know, in the beginning, you have Make Me Feel. Those kick drums really stand out. But just in general, Static Selecta is one of the 
most prominent active producers that can bring you that like throwback dusty boom bap. But the transition between make me feel into where I belong, I think is really seamless and done really well. Mm. And where I belong is probably my favorite of those like style of songs uh, on this. And there's, there's a few. Um, Survivor's Guilt though, I think is storytelling perspective, the clear highlight and kind of foolishly, like you said, he follows it up with another song where it's like, you just can't make that impact again. But Survivor's Guilt is like a really somber, very sad story mm-hmm. about Capital Steez, which he hasn't really made a song about in some time. Of course, Steez killed himself 10 years ago. Steez, the founder of Joey Badass, you know? And then next thing you know, Steez is gone. Joey's leader of pro era. It's quite the storied history. And, that, you know, that Steez uh, posthumous album never did come out, but still obviously nods and love for him all over the place from everyone Beast Coast for the most part. So that song, though, it feels like quite the coda, I think, for for Joey regarding Steez. And kind of need to happen because if you're going to make the follow-up to 1999 kind of have to acknowledge one of these big pieces of early Joey's career that is, hasn't been with him for such a long time at this point so yeah I think that, that, that not a song I necessarily want to run back due to just the you know heaviness of the da- downer nature of it by design but it, it, it's, it's quite well done and I think it's a definitely a probably a song that he was you know, felt really fulfilled in making too, given where he's been at for so long. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think it, it was important for him to talk about, but not a song you probably find yourself going back to a whole lot. A song that I really liked a lot, at least in terms of just like the energy of it, is kind of comes right after two of the ones you talked about, which is brand new 911, that like jazzy hip-hop feel that he brings to it and just like the, his playfulness on the track were really like i think what drew me in and he just glides over that dude it's, so he's so smooth on that track it's pretty great yeah that one's pretty cool too because you have west side gun obviously yeah. the guest there all the boo boo boos you know yeah. for Zelda, but also a sequel song in a sense because joey had a very celebrated feature a few years back on the west side gun album the song 327 with those two and tyler so cool to see joy bring gun back here um larry june i thought made a nice impression on one of us uh perhaps even stealing the song uh the jid song wanna be love you know joey's rapping there then jid's rapping there they both sound fine but that's another song that like if, if they made a banger together it would be so crazy you know yeah but that's yeah, just if- not the kind of song it was I was, I was when I saw Jid on the track. I was hoping it'd be a little bit more like want to run that back, but definitely didn't catch me. But I, I definitely think they both do a great job asserting themselves yeah. as you know great rappers in it. What'd you think of Welcome Back with Chris Brown and Capella Gray? Yeah, kind of weird that Chris Brown's even there because Capella yeah. Gray could have done all that. Capella Gray's opening up for Joey right now in the 1999-2000 tour. Don't know why Chris Brown's there. I wonder if that was a Columbia Records requirement. Who knows? But I don't know. It's just kind of weird because, like, I, I think it's either that song or the song with, or the song after "Show Me." I forget. But like Joey, I don't know. Joey, Joey kind of gives you some misogyny in those like sex lyrics quite quickly, and I don't need to hear that next to Chris Brown, who we don't have to yeah. get into. You know, it's like I don't know. That, that stuff's kind of a miss, and, and Joey is a bit prone to, you know, kind of saying uh, off-color things online and stuff like that. So maybe he just genuinely wanted to work with Chris Brown. I don't know, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Those weren't those weren't too good. I think in terms of like non-traditional rapidy ass songs, 
you know, there's no devastated here. There's no like blatant, like melodic, more pop rap styled song here. That we don't have one of those. You do have cruise control though, which I think is like the closest to something like that because Joey does sing hook on there. You know, Mike will kind of bring you a beat that's not like a static selected beat. And then one of the more memorable outros on this list, you have Nas talking about Joey. Of course, the album starts off with Diddy talking about Joey bringing back who shot you as we proceed to give you what you need. Um, I, I did in general, I did kind of enjoy a lot of these outros, especially the one on Survivor Skill where someone was talking about meeting Steez for the first time. Um, but yeah, I mean, he got, he got Nas and Diddy to like yeah. genuinely like talk about him in a positive light, you know? <laughs> Great look. Great look. You know, it, you're, you're a big Joey fan. Obviously when saw him live, would you say that you're uh, satisfied with this album? Disappointed? Like, where are you at? Yeah, it's tough, man, because he, he makes such amazing bangers 10 years going, you know, and I just, like like some people, some of the real 1999 hits, you know, listen to Kaluminati and Hard Knock all the time. You know, I'm not, not necessarily one of those guys. I like listening to Survival Tactics all the time, which shout, shout out Steve's, you know, it's like fucking bangers. And lest we forget, when I saw him live, Survivor ta- survival tactics got the biggest pop of all the 99 songs he played. You know, I don't know if any of these songs are going to make people pop. You know, yeah. uh, where I belong, people were people were bobbing their heads when he played it um, the day it came out, which happened to be the day I saw him. And I think some of these songs will get there too. But like, you know, I, I, there's no paper trails on this. There's no Christ conscious on this. So it's not what he's going for clearly, and that's okay. But like, for me, I, it's just not exactly what I what I would have wanted. Yeah, uh, I I definitely was not expecting this to to be what we got, but you know I think even when he's not delivering those bangers, he's still delivering quality, which is a sign of a great artist. So, shout out to Joey. Um, I think definitely give it a listen. Let's move forward to rock, though, or I guess rock. You know, it's um we we've been talking about Jack White a lot, man. <laughs> Feels like you know Joey, Joey and. Uh, uh Lula Uzi were like, ah, it's been quite a while since we got music from them. Jack White, dog, just pumping it out. Like he's like three three albums, two in one year. Oh man. Uh I love it though, because Jack White is still one of the premier rock artists of our our time. And you know, we've had uh Boarding House Reach, we've had Fear of the Dawn, and now Entering Heaven Alive. So, so going into this. You know, I think the first thing you notice is that this is the first album he's put out in a while without some sort of like blue on the cover. And so I was like, mm. this looks a little different. And right right from the get go, um, this is a much more toned down um, uh, yeah. album. Did that work for you, Dave? Right. Well, you mentioned we just had Fear of the Dawn. That was literally in April. Yeah. That was three and a half months ago. So <laughs> he truly is cranking them out. Uh, this far into his career more power to him and he honestly said this he talked about these two albums with these two release dates many many months before fear the dawn came out and he never moved off yes. these dates he's he hit both these dates right on target good for him um yeah you know i i, I did i did enjoy uh this one i, I thought um entering heaven live I, I thought the i don't know how to say it, almost like more traditional like throwback style of rock he was bringing us here but i don't i don't know what genre you put it on but like for a second i was i got almost like the 70s vibe i was like that's oh, not yeah. really his, that's not his jam he doesn't do that but yeah that's my favorite type of rock music so to get that from him i was like oh shit no this is this is more interesting to me 
you know like i think the the first song was a trip from you to me mm-hmm. the you have really noticeable keys but the guitar on that is just like you know that's that, that's kind of a 70s song to me i thought that was awesome yeah i i think if you're gonna like put your thumb on it it's definitely that like neil young you know like the the softer side of zeppelin type feel you know like the beginning of stairway to heaven or beginning of ramble on like that's kind of the feel he's going for here and i think he absolutely crushed it and i i I found this to be probably the best jack white album we've talked about in the last couple of years you know with the other ones he's really like going for it he's going for more electric he's kind of just letting these songs just go in whatever direction his heart desires. But this is so much more focused and so much more thought out. The fact that he recorded entering heaven alive with fear of the dawn at the same time, and was planning to release them all at once initially. <laughs> like I can't imagine what that album experience would have been like, like it's so up and it's so night and day. Um, I think this is a, a really, really strong showing from him. And, you know, <laughs> you jump around and you get something different all over. Like um, probably one of my favorite tracks on here was um, obviously I think the middle, I've got you surrounded with my love. Mm. That's like the, the bridge between fear of the dawn and this album. Those, I think that could have been on the last one, but then like just a few tracks later, a tree on fire from within, he doesn't sing until like the last half of it. And it's just this like really beautiful buildup in terms of like this piano turning, then the drums kind of come like chiming in and then the guitar kind of just starts really like pushing it forward. Uh, then he starts singing and it's like really great. Um, I thought that was really awesome. Uh, and there's like some clear, I, I would say Neil Young, feel to this but also at times like vampire weekend like especially the way the piano sounds at times like almost a little bit like mm-hmm. early vampire weekend type feel um just really really impressed with this I, I didn't expect him to go in this direction because we haven't gotten a lot of acoustic jack white recently this is more of like early jack white when he was uh you know doing so many different projects and really just more of that like nashville boy and this you know what we've gotten recently has just been so electric and so like elevated in terms yeah. of like production modern yeah so toned down but it's beautiful yeah i mean on uh the, was it the third track help me along mm. some tambourines going there like, oh wow yeah that's a, little, <laughs> that's a far cry from boarding house reach yeah full stop <laughs> yeah and on that last i mean the last track alone is like maybe the folksiest song he's ever made taking me back gently but it's like a pure folk song but it's like not music I would typically listen to, but in context of the album, just feels so genuine and so interesting mm-hmm. to think about like why he wanted to go full acoustic, like swing jazz band, like pretty, pretty fun stuff. So um, another highlight for me was a madman from Manhattan really just yeah. loved the like storytelling in that. And it feels almost kind of like, I can't remember what the name of that band is, but like Sex and Candy, uh, uh, Marcy's Playground, like almost like Marcy's Playground type feel to it in a sense, like uh, that early 90s band. So really just a pleasure to listen to this album. Any other tracks you wanted to shout out? Uh, No, you got there uh, with uh, Madman from Manhattan. I like that one. Yeah, uh, I agree. This is, I think, the best thing we've talked about of his, of his three solo albums we've gotten here. So, um, you know, I'm curious what jack white fans like hardcore jack white fans think of this one because he had this is not the hardest he's ever been you know 
So I wonder if that factors in, but I personally like it quite a bit. Well, uh, that's going to wrap us up for music, but as always, check out our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist on Spotify, where we'll have tracks from all of these artists. But Dave, you mentioned the Russos earlier. So let's talk about the Russos and their newest movie, The Gray Man, starring Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Anna Armas. Uh Yeah, we, it, it's here. And this, this thing is propulsive. It is intense. It's a lot of action. Very expensive. Uh, did did you like the Gray Man? I think it's the place I, to start. I did like the Gray Man. I had a great time with the Gray Man. I thought it was a a lot of fun. Great to be back with Ryan Gosling. It's hard to believe, but this is his first movie since First Man from Damien Chazelle, a movie that came out in 2018. Gosling took some time off, and he's kind of a cool choice for the more stoic spy character we all know so well mm-hmm. it's a movie with plenty of flaws but i really enjoyed it i think the stuff that works is really effective and i think it's just fun you know and um, it, it's it's funny to see so many other famous people too beyond gosling on armis and evans because in various kinds of roles you have regis on page from mm-hmm. bridgerton you have uh uh billy bob thornton you have julia butters of yeah. once upon a time in hollywood fame I, yeah. this might be your most significant role since that movie obviously she's still quite young uh, jessica henwick in a very thankless role um it, it the, the, there's star power everywhere which which is always fun um yeah and I, I think at the end of the day like the gray man takes a lot of things from the spy genre that spy action genre action film and general genre it takes a lot of things that we've seen before and we've seen done in a better way usually too it takes takes a lot of stuff it's playing the hits in a certain sense sure. but i think because of like the gloss and the star power here I, I think it's still a really fun time yeah it's it's just fun seeing gosling and chris evans kind of going after each other in a way i i just found their whole dynamic really fun and chris evans kind of sticking with this knives out type dick role it plays it really really in a fun way i don't know if i'd say it's a great performance but it's at least fun yeah in a sense he actually is given less than need than you would think because for a lot of the movie he's kind of just back at hq barking orders to his assassins and his teams that get killed by gosling you know um but yeah i think it's fun even if he's like a complete cartoon like it's fun it's fun to see evans doing that you know i was thinking about that i was like oh evans is playing off type again after knives out went so well then i thought about it more i was like actually isn't isn't chris evans as captain america the one that's off type because so if you think far. about like before that like not another teen movie and fantastic four the originals this was actually his thing beforehand right and captain america is where he like switched up what he does yeah and that's so- his most famous shit so obviously people think of that first but in reality i think if you add up all his significant roles i think this is actually more in <laughs> line with the kind of performer he is yeah well you even think about like scott pilgrim versus the world yes he just plays that that dick in that movie too so yeah the great point and he does it so well i think he's just like he's so overly handsome like i don't even really know how to describe but he's just like too good looking so he has to kind of be a dick or it's like unbelievable that and that's why captain america fit him so well it's like he's that perfect pristine image that they want america to have um but yeah, you know, you know who actually I think stole part of the movie for me is an actor I wasn't even aware of, but Danush, who played Lone yes. Wolf. 
when he shows up in the, in this movie and he is this formidable, unbeatable like uh, assassin that yeah. Darmus and Gosling aren't able to stop. I really thought the movie picked up from there because I was like, oh, this actually feels like potentially this movie's going in a direction I don't think it's going to go in. And while I don't know if I like love the way that that all gets resolved. I really just thought his presence in the movie was great. And I, I actually kind of liked how his character ends up having more agency in the movie yeah. than it seemed. Cause it seemed like he was just kind of like this unbeatable foe. And then right. it becomes like this person who is actually a person underneath all this. So I, yeah. I could see him and Darmus teaming up in whatever sequel comes from this. Totally. So I agree with that. I think one of the issues with the movie is they don't introduce Danush fast enough. Danush is a very famous, yeah. successful uh, Indian film star. And he gets introduced, has that one moment where he, he wins, right? And then they basically the next thing he does is say, tell, tell the audience, foreshadow that this is a guy with some kind of principles despite being a killer. Oh, you have kids here? Or you, you, yeah. you have a woman? However he puts it. And then when he fights on Armas later, you know he's not going to fucking kill her. And I feel like if they had give us a little more time with that character with the lone wolf i think those moments would have hit better but because i had just met him the fact that he like remarked that they have a kid there like immediately stood out to me as a flag of foreshadowing i was like that's a red herring if ever i saw one you know Mm -hmm. um that being said we don't see danush because we spent a lot of other time with these other big set pieces you know i thought the early early one in uh, bangkok i think it was where um Mm -hmm. when uh Gosling, uh, Spectre Six, not yet Rogue. That one, you know, I think uh, lighting wise, very reminiscent of John Wick movies. Yep. And that one's pretty thrilling. And then I think the, the clear standout set piece would be the next big one, which is in is Prague, Vienna. The one where Gosling is handcuffed to the, yeah. the wall. Prague. Prague. And uh, all of Chris Evans's assassin teams are going after him. They're being engaged with the SWAT team, the local police, and just like three pronged, three three fronted war in the middle of Prague, and Gosling is helpless for a lot of it. I thought that was really well done, yep, and really thrilling. And I think those set pieces too make you think of like what would have happened if there was perhaps more talented action filmmakers involved with this movie because mm-hmm. the Russo brothers, uh, you know, very accomplished due to the Avengers movies and Civil War, but like you know they're not at the same level as say like Chad Stahelski or yeah. Chris McQuarrie or even Michael Bay. You know, I think if one of those people was involved in one of those set pieces, it could have went down as like an all timer. I, I agree. I think those are the two that clearly stand out. I, I don't, I don't know if Ryan Gosling does this intentionally, but I feel like his like very like flat affect in like an action movie with yeah. like something like bright and colorful, like lighting his face up is like how I've just kind of come to think of him in my head a lot of the time. Like I, I think about like Blade Runner 2049 and like that scene where Anna Darmus shows up and, or like whatever the billboard, whatever she is. Yeah. She's like, and, a, like a AI hologram. Or something. Yeah. And that, that like lighting that like pink lighting that like lights up his face. And he's just so flat, like looking at her is almost exactly what we get in that opening scene. He's just so like business mode, the fireworks are going off, lighting him up. But I, I really loved the tension in that scene. You know, you have um, Roger, um Jean Page, who's screaming at him to take this shot from below this like glass mm-hmm. floor, which is really, I think, just like a cool setup. You know, that like, he's like below, like doing this. 
and then that like fight scene with um the matthew mcconaughey lookalike uh, right. uh what's the name the other specter agent i forget <laughs> yeah yeah uh sierra for oh kellen mulvey um i i just thought that was an awesome fight scene with like the fireworks going off around them and it really just sets up everything really well that fight scene in um uh, prague is so wonderful especially because the whole time you're just like how the fuck is Gosling getting out of this like there's no yeah. chance and then when he finally like gets the gun and like gets onto the train and then that there's that chase scene going on too i just thought that was fantastic another one that stood out to me was the plane um fight you know where the like lloyd tells these guys to like turn on him on the plane and then he's like fighting from the plane very um uh what was that A tom holland movie uh recently uh Jerry? One after Spider- no, the one after Spider-Man uh, where he's like a treasure hunter. I'm forgetting. Uncharted. Uncharted, thank you. Yeah. That, it reminded me a lot of the fight scene from that movie as well where like the plane is going down. He has to survive. Um, but really like thrilling stuff. And I agree. I think there was some potential le- like lost in terms of how this could have gone down. Like I I guess it, the movie always kind of had to end with like a Chris Evans versus Gosling showdown, but I, I felt yeah. like that like parts of that just like fell a little bit flat for me or didn't meet my expectations. Um, but there are just some scenes that totally electrified me. Yeah. Yeah. So I did enjoy their final fight. Another obvious piece of homage where it goes into a, a hedge maze, very reminiscent of James Bond and Goldfinger famously. Uh, and they had that fight and they're really like really fucking each other up too. Is mm-hmm. that the moment where Chris Evans does that knife toss or is that earlier? I forget. Yeah, the, that knife toss is pretty sick. The knife toss is, is, is sick. That's really well done. Um, and then that's the moment where Jessica Henwick has like her one thing to do. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just fe- scream at Lloyd the whole time. Right. Like I had a feeling like that was her like coming in and saying the day. I was like, I, someone's going to shoot her. Uh, before I was like, I was going to be on an armist, but then like she has to get the kids. Like, who's going to be a shooter? It's like, obviously it's Jessica Henwick. Regardless. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Um, fun fact, too, I did not expect this to happen, but that final final set set piece where everything goes down, that estate in France, Chantilly, I've been there. I've been to that uh, place. It's like an hour from Paris. I was like, oh, my God, they made a movie there. That's fucking crazy. Um, when, when I went, it wasn't super busy. I wonder if that'll change now. I don't know. <laughs> but um, you, you, I think the actually, in terms of other talent, too, like, the guy who captures Gosling, the passport, like hacker dude, that's mm. Wagner Mora under some makeup yeah. and a wig. Didn't even recognize him. And then the woman who um, Gosling goes to see, who's like another one of like the retired CIA people, the one he sees in Prague. Uh, that's Alfred Wooder too. Like all, all these people in like really small roles. Um, well, you, you get Shea Wiggum for literally like twenty seconds near the end of the movie. That's the right. The flashback. Crazy. Yeah. Um, How did you feel about Reggie Jean Page as the bad CIA director? Because I thought he, I, I thought that was a classic, like Dion Waiters, or not even Dion Waiters, the uh, overacting. You know, it's like a bit. Um, he's really, really going for it and like hemming it up. But it's like I don't know if he has the the presence to stand with someone like Ada Armas who just oozes that. You know, like Reggie John Page, very handsome, very well liked in Bridgerton. But in this moment, I, I don't know if he acquitted himself as well, or it's just a bit over the top for me yeah he's almost like trying too hard to be just this like asshole and i almost feel like he could he would have done better as like a like computer hacker of some sort or like support guy who was like helping them um i just i I don't see he just i guess like he's kind of going for like the chris evans 
like move, yeah, right? Where Evans you're like, doesn't have to try at all though. Exactly. To be an asshole. And that's the thing is he's too nice. Like Evans kind of has this like duplicity to him, but like Virginia mm-hmm. John Page just is it seems like too nice of a guy. So yeah, sure. I, I thought that was a bit of a miscast, but I just was kind of like glad he got the look. He's obviously a rising yeah. star and we're gonna see him a lot more, but not nice to see him in a big movie like this. What did you think of the of the Armist? Because I, I feel like the for being such a high profile actress at this point she kind of is just in these like support roles like the, yeah. all the time and like obviously you, they have the the john is it the john wick spinoff or whatever it is or no the james bond yes. spinoff yeah john wick yes yeah, so she's allegedly starring in a john wick spinoff film called ballerina which i think needs to happen after what we've seen her do in a supporting role in the gray man and a complete scene stealing supporting yeah. role in no time to die last yep. year Exactly. She can do this shit. She's great at it. And she has such presence and charisma as a performer in general. So I want to see that. I want to see uh, the bigger responsibility of a movie like that. As far as I know, there hasn't been a lot of movement or updates on it since. Maybe we'll find out soon. Obviously, she's a very in-demand artist. She has a very busy schedule. So who can say? But yeah, I I, um, I don't think... I don't want to say she was wasted in the movie. She's good and she makes an impression when she's around. But she's clearly a supporting character. Which she's kind of um, I think risen past that, yeah, know, for some totally. time. Totally, yeah. I I just wanted so much more of her, and I agree. I feel like every scene she's in, she really just steals it. She's a rocket ship at this point in terms of star. Um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of wrap up this conversation today, just kind of seeing what your temperature is on Gosling at this point, right? I think it. I think he's top of mind right now because this this felt very familiar. This is Drive. Sure. This is. Blade Runner 2049. This is even First Man. They're all kind of in the same vein for him here. But then we got the Barbie movie coming out where he's playing yeah. Ken. Like, well, I, I don't know how to make sense of that. And I also don't he know what to He said he did it for his movie. kids. And I, I just, uh, where are you at with him right now? It's been a while. Yeah, well, I'm ha- like I said, I'm happy he's back. It's been several years. Um, he is a very charismatic performer and he does make a lot of good choices. He has been in some non-traditional star vehicles to this point, right? He's not an IP guy. This no. is the closest thing he's probably ever going to get to something like that, right? Um, until Barbie, I guess. But who knows how, like, IP Barbie's going to feel for Gerwig and, you know, TBD. We don't know. Um, yeah, like, I like him. I, I like, I want to see him do more stuff, for sure. Um, yeah, me too. And it feels like he's getting back in the swing. He took a very clearly intentional break. And then he happened to have that extended by the pandemic. Good for him. Good timing, I guess. But yeah, I think it's time now, right? Because he he still got it, you know. I think um oh yeah, in a stronger script too, he probably makes an even bigger impression. In a sense, he kind of has to pit, play a stone faced character in this, which he can do very well, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't really have that many opportunities in this movie to do a lot else besides that one moment where he talks about like his Sisyphus tattoo, the mm-hmm. Greek myth. Other than that, it's like it's more or less him just being on the run and, you know, trying to live stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I like to see I, I want, some more stuff. I want him to to get back into the La La Land or the Nice Guys type of stuff. I want him to be doing like some different stuff where hit that like flat, um, but so perfectly timed. Like, um, you know, he's he's the straight man, I guess, right? Like in yeah. in the Nice Guys, he's the straight man to to crow. And I just think he can do that so well. Like his delivery of like, does this plan involve me being alive? Because if so, we we need to get me to a hospital now. A lot of blood, 
<laughs> losing a lot of blood here. Like it really had me chuckling at the end of the movie. I thought that was great. And a couple other lines were really funny too, but um, I just want to see him doing something other than like this, like flat person in an action movie, just because I think he's got so much more charisma. Maybe the Barbie movie will yeah. let that whistle for me. We'll see. Yeah. Barbie's his only movie on the calendar right now. So maybe we'll hear some more things soon, but yeah, I mean the gray man, it's now the most expensive movie Netflix ever made $200 million taking that title from red notice, I believe and six underground before that. Um, I like it more than those two movies. I think though, if we had combined Michael Bay from six underground with the gray man, you know, and, and Mark Christopher Marcus McFeely from the Russo's writing still, I think we could have made a better film regardless for the Netflix blockbuster standard. I think it's a, it's pretty good. You know, the, the flaws are okay. Do you think they make a sequel? They set one up. The movie was so expensive. Do they, do they want to go down that road again? Because honestly, this is a movie that would have made fuck ton of money in the box office for Netflix had they wanted to make that kind of money, but they don't. So what do you think? They make the gray man too? The black man, the white man. I I think we see it. I just, um, I think it'll probably be the Armist driven, right? That is a good pivot. It's got to be. Like her, like, you know, exposing or whatever, because she knows all these secrets. Feels like it's got to be. But I don't know. Well, I I think we get it. Do you? Yeah. Do they want to make franchises, right? They kind of have to. They need something that, right. Stranger Things is ending, the main version of it anyway. So, and I'm sure we're going to hear tons of viewer data about how much they watch this you watch this so yeah i think it's a good good as thing as any they have to keep going why not yeah i think it would all depend on who they get to be in the chris evans type role too like they need someone that charismatic and that like level so we'll see maybe maybe jean page at that point gets uh jean page gets elevated to be yeah more like that so we'll see anyways let's move on from netflix and let's get back into the theater man because I, I, I went back to the movies, back in person, saw Nope, Jordan Peele's newest movie. Man, Jordan Peele, just a freaking amazing director. I just, I loved this movie. I can't even hold it back. Like, I'm giving, like, an early question, because I just, I just want to talk about everything with yeah. this movie. Did you have the same experience? Did you enjoy Nope as much as I did? I, I enjoyed Nope a lot. I think it's a really propulsive, entertaining movie. Awesome genre of implications that if you're a film fan there's so many things to recognize and appreciate about what he's doing but even if you're not there's just i think a real awesome energy to this movie largely propelled by kiki palmer's uh movie winning performance and jordan peele still gives you so much to chew on thematically in this movie you know get out us now nope he had just one of if not the most interesting American filmmakers working right now and one of if not the best filmmakers of the 21st century 2010s mm-hmm. on however you want to put it he's rising that list and I think the more movies we make the more people he makes the more people more people start to agree on that point because it's just the, the body of work he's putting in is just so impressive with how varied it is you know and working with Daniel Kaluuya again obviously from Get Out to Now always cool yeah i liked it a lot i actually saw it early due to just my own schedule in a screening environment and my screening room which was a packed imax too cool got to see an imax nice uh, shot in imax yeah shot in imax people 
people loved it. You were hearing people audibly say nope when stuff <laughs> happened. You know, pe- people had a blast and yep. um, it was clapping and stuff and big laughs as well. I think that's what's also so great about nope is that it's act, uh, thrilling as a sci-fi movie. It has really witty humor. It has really scary moments. It kind of gives you everything. So yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, the, I, I I think where like my intrigue with the movie started off um, is right from the very first scene, right? Because like it, you don't even know at this point, it's from Monkey Paw Productions. And the first scene you see of the movie is this monkey on this TV set where it seems like something has gone horribly wrong. And the monkey's just kind of like, you know, coming down from this obviously elevated state and turns and looks right into the camera. And I guess it's a chimpanzee. I should be like more clear. Yeah. But it's very like unsettling and off-putting. And I was like, oh, that must be like just a weird like production company choice for like how they advertise themselves at the beginning of a movie. Because I was like, that's just doesn't seem connected to anything that we know about the movie from what you see in previews. Um, And that coming back around and the like intention of the scene when you get it later and what it's trying to say about the larger story but just that i think about society in general i think is really really interesting i i loved that as like the setup and it really made me feel like the movie as a whole like it was very well thought out which i think certain parts of us his last movie kind mm-hmm. of fall through you know falter in ways and that where it's not as thought out or not as well conceived a lot of mechanics specifically but i think the next time you get drawn in is <laughs> the very next scene where Otis or Otis Jr. OJ played by Kaluuya has to rush his father to the hospital for just like things falling out of the sky. Right. And like, yeah. right, right from that moment, you are just drawn into what's going on up there. Right. And I, I don't know if you noticed yourself in terms of how you were like watching the screen, but I certainly noticed for me, there's a, we're going to spoil this a little bit later, but there's a part in the movie where, OJ kind of figures out that looking up isn't necessarily helpful for him. And so he starts yeah. to put his head down more. And I found myself in the first half of the movie, putting like looking up towards the top half of the screen more and then putting my <laughs> head down more as the movie went on. I was like, wow, this is a sign that Peel <laughs> yeah. has just like this like master idea of like framework and how he wants to make the movie look and how he wants to make you right. feel in the movie and that ability to like create the tension for you to be, physically responding to what's happening and like like that is something he does to a level that i don't think a lot of other directors are able to do right now this is first time working with hoita van hoitema the reclaimed cinematographer who done a lot of work with nolan among other people and i mean the movie just looks so great you know it has that blockbuster quality to it and if you think about it Nope makes sense as a COVID production. This is a movie that largely takes place out in the boonies of LA County, wherever we are outside LA, you know, it's not a lot of people around, but it still has this like huge, like vistas and they they look so awesome, you know? Yeah. And then, like you said, it's actually brought into the plot of the film, Mm -hmm. how the viewing of it works, you know, and I hadn't really put that together, but that makes that that you you don't see that that often i think everyone knows that um you know i think thematically it's a movie that definitely requires a lot more to think about you know i think uh get out despite it's you know brilliant 
but it's also part of his brilliance that you immediately understand why it's so brilliant. You understand thematically very quickly what's going on. Um, nope, it's a bit more, I think, um, requires, you got, you got to peel this banana a little bit to really grasp, I think, the, the comment. And for me, I had to think about it a little bit more because I wasn't really thinking about it as deeply while watching it because the movie's so entertaining and so propulsive and has such awesome forward momentum. You know, I saw some people saying that it has a bit of a slow start. I didn't really feel that though, because I, I was, I was really picking up on it pretty quick. I think part of that again is Kaluuya and Kiki have awesome performances that really work well together where Keaton Palmer's is very extroverted character mm-hmm. and, and DK is obviously very subdued in, in contrast. Right. But I feel like as soon as they meet um, the, the, the tech guy, what's his name? Brandon, uh, Perea, who plays him? Yeah, uh, Angel. Yeah, Angel. Once you get Angel coming in and just like being this a really, really funny figure, I think. And like yeah. him playing off the two siblings. And once like the movie starts, like the gears start to spin, you understand what's going on in terms of the plot itself, let alone the themes. It's like, wow. It's kind of the edge of your seat stuff because it, I think I think it's just really thrilling. And thematically then you understand why things go the way they go right i don't think there's like huge plot holes in this movie because like everything they everything the characters do is like perfectly grounded in 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 what they want to achieve and that's why they don't just immediately flee the scene and never return you know so yeah i I thought that was really well done too yeah i think the only critique and i guess we'll we'll, we might get into spoilers here so if you wanted to tune in just to hear general thoughts and now want to tune out that's fine come back um is the ending um and kind of did peel land the plane in terms of what the point he was trying to get across because it seems like a lot of the movie especially from the flashbacks to the uh the gordo or the gordy chimpanzee going um you know berserk on the crew is about like the exploitation of nature and how humans use and abuse nature and uh for their own gain without really thinking about how this may impact nature itself whether that's climate change the way the animals are treated um, or utilized within the film industry or society and then at the end of the movie they they kill the creature you know we all know if it's an Mm -hmm. extraterrestrial or you know some other sort of creature from earth that we're just not aware of and um yeah you know i it kind of left me feeling a little bit confused as to what peel was definitely trying to say i think there's probably and he's a director that doesn't doesn't spell everything out for you so i think intentionally Mm. he might have done this too just to like kind of throw you off the scent and try to make your own conclusion of it what did you make of it though you know i i kind of think the um i don't really think of it from the nature side of things but i think that was what makes the movie so interesting is there's a few different ways to interpret it and listen to how people think about it but I, I kind of thought the more like cultural, um, you know, r- r- racial implications that he brings into this, right? Obviously, mm. started with Get Out, continue with us. Now here, I think it's a bit, it's a bit more like higher level, right? So, like I said, it's not so in your face that you understand it right away. Where in this one, you know, they, they do a really pronounced job of explaining who this family is, actually descended from. Uh, Murbridge, I forget the, the the first uh moving image, the first movie in a sense, which was a black man riding Edward a horse, a black Moybridge. Uh, Edward Moybridge. They're the descendants of Edward Moybridge, and they have such great pride in that. And yet, they are still 
like many uh, minority groups, not uh, having that true seat at the table and having to having to sell their horses to get by, right? And 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 really struggling uh, to to what achieve what they want to do. And I, I really enjoyed how they kind of positioned this whole thing, where it's like, oh, we're going to capture undeniable proof of an alien of some kind. And why are they doing that? They're doing that to to, to get to get money, man, so they yeah. can get on Oprah this business going. It'd be to, to be real ones that's why they're doing this it's so real it's such a yeah. real reason to do something like this that's why they want to abandon the house because they don't want to abandon the house they want to save the house they want to make the ranch bigger you know they want they want they want to live I, I just was really taken with that you know i think another thing i didn't really catch it myself but i saw someone say where uh keith david who plays the dad who i didn't i, I didn't even know he was in the movie that was probably announced but to me i said like, oh keith david's here that's awesome that guy has an amazing voice still um he literally gets killed by a coin hitting him in the head, a token, if you will. Mm. Quickly after wow. this, we meet Stephen Yun, who as a child actor was playing the token minority character on a sitcom. And then when we see what happens with Gordy the Chimp, Gordy perhaps had a kindred spirit in a certain sense with what he saw in how Stephen Yun's character was treated. That's why he didn't kill him. You know, he's killed all the the white people, the people in power. You know, it's like that. That was the stuff that I think I, I picked it up on. And when you really make the uh, connections, you know, like I didn't really think of the token myself, but like that, I think that stuff is really, really makes sense. You know, but then you have other pieces, right? You have the director, the director guy, who um, I think he makes a really charismatic impression in a small role, and the way he he's going about this, or his reasons for wanting to shoot this. And then his reasons for sending himself to certain doom, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's quite different from the reasons that uh, uh, M and OJ have, you know, and then even um, Stephen Young, you know, it's like Stephen Young, I think he kind of presents this like position on like combating your own personal trauma, but in the process, you're kind of like losing your own soul, you know? Like he made yeah. the whole like Gordy putting yourself almost. Yeah, Gordy Museum in a certain sense. And later on you have the TMZ guy show up on the oh, motorcycle. Okay. And like, there is a bit of a comment on like how people make content in quotes, you know? Mm -hmm. So like you said, Peel will not spell it out for you. He won't clarify it later. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he can imbue so many of these complex ideas that take some thinking. And they do make sense. It's not like this is just nonsense. Like they do everything makes sense. You just got to think about it for a second. You have all that in a movie that is also super propelling and well acted and looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. like, what more do you want? You know? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, you talk about like how beautiful this movie is. And like there's so many scenes that just stand out. I think, first of all, obviously, as you mentioned, where this ranch is and this valley and um, I think it's supposed to be California somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, it's LA area, they said. Yeah, it's yeah. it's unbelievable. Just like how they found this location, just how gorgeous right. it is. But then you have this house. And I mean, man, one of the scenes that stands out most to me is that nighttime scene where oh, yeah. the creature is like, he is, uh, I guess, try he's being exploited by Jupe, uh, Stephen Young's character. He eats all the people watching or sucks it up into his body and yeah. starts to eat them. Oh, he ate them for sure. <laughs> and then he drops them 
onto the house that uh, OJ and, and M live in. And the blood running down that house with the lightning lighting it up. And also the, I wear my sunglasses at night slowing down at, when uh, the magnetic field or the electric field uh, is being taken out. Mm-hmm. Man, I mean, that is like Peel giving so many homages to like different horror films just in general right there. But I just thought that was like incredibly uh, propulsive and like the images there are just like stuck in my brain. Um, another one that I think is like incredibly like stuck is like when uh, OJ figures out like that, if you don't look it in the eye or in its mouth or whatever it is, that it will kind of like leave you alone or like go away. Right. And that scene of like Kaluuya's face so close to the camera looking and then you just see it behind him, like hovering. Oh man. Like it just burned into my brain. So amazing. Totally. I think they do a really good job too of setting up this alien. Uh, oh yeah, this beast. You know, you start seeing it like through the clouds, like in the shadows and stuff. Flashes. And then when they put you to that point where like that cloud hasn't moved, you're like, that's a fake cloud. It's like holy shit. It's like it's like a terrifying realization, right? And then and by it, the end, it's just like it's just this huge beast, and like when it's like openly in the open, you know, trying yeah. to eat stuff and chase people down and stuff. It's and then, and then the very ending, right, where it's kind of like opening itself up and becoming this kind of unintelligible form, right? It's like yeah. ribbons, but beauty uh, and natural yeah. beauty to it as well. Uh, yeah, ribbons, right? So, really loved uh, it. Totally. Um, yeah, actually, I, did you know that uh, Jesse Plemons turned down a role in this movie? Uh, Four Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese. Obviously, <laughs> tough, tough, tough to fault him for such a choice. <laughs> yeah. I would assume that was probably the Stephen Young role. Um, I don't, really don't know where else he would fit in the film. Maybe maybe he was the the com- the comic figure. Maybe uh, I Jesse don't think he does have a, well. a bit of humor to him. Maybe a different kind of humor though. I thought they did a really good job yeah. with uh with Angel. Um, <laughs> I love the scene where they fail to get the shots because of the praying mantis. That that just awesome way to have true true audience tension and and totally. fear for your your characters. You know. Yeah, you know, and it's so funny because I thought for a second this movie was going to go in a really lame direction, which I should have given Peel so much more credit. But th- that scene when they don't really know about the the creature yet and OJ sees the little gray men in the barn. I was like, oh, man, is this really going to be just like a traditional like like Martian movie? And I yeah. was like, ah, oh, I don't know. And then it turns out to be something completely different. Yeah. When when OJ is like, I don't think that's a ship or he's like, it's, it hasn't moved. And he's like. Uh, that that's not a ship like I, that i'm yeah, just like oh nope. man like what is this it, it, it's just so well conceived and like you said the way it works on so many different levels i just like i don't know a director that is able to do what peel does to the effectiveness that just makes you think like this right like we we don't have, typically have conversations one about horror movies to this level but i think just about movies in general that have this many layers of meaning and then, you know, I think we haven't even really gotten into it, but like Kiki Palmer in this movie mm-hmm. just completely steals the show. And, you know, Kaluuya's character, OJ, is a bit more reserved, a bit more internal. And I think he plays the part really well and their dynamic is great. But Palmer gets to do a lot of the like heavy lifting on screen and she just absolutely crushes it. Totally. This is her biggest blockbuster role ever you know she's been famous been an actor publicly for a long time 10 plus years but 
this is like a, a true coming out party in a certain sense. It, it's weird to say that because she's so famous and so so well liked and makes big moments in culture all the time. Uh, sorry to this man, you know. And she just did it again on the press tour where she didn't know uh, who, who who was in the X Files. Yeah, uh, and Kaluuya and, and Yun Din, and she, she she was like, and who are they or something? It's like she just basically did sorry to this man a second time, it's just it's <laughs> in, 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 in genuinely too. Like she's so great. Uh, but yeah, this is a this role really gives her a chance to show off just her char- charisma, and then later on, like her her action chops too. At the end, she does a fucking Akira slide on the motorcycle. It's awesome, amazing. Yeah, and you know she starts off. She enters the movie with this like anxious ball of energy, kind of coming in and having to like give the spiel about who like why they're there and the safety of the horse and everything for the the movie and that monologue she just is so electric and you're just mm-hmm. like oh man like we're, we're on one now but man she delivers some of the funniest moments in this movie that when when the cinematographer shows up michael wincott and he's talking about how he's going to capture the image and he's like i brought a non like electrical camera or whatever and yes. she's like what did i say he was gonna bring it on electric camera they start dapping each other up i burst out laughing i thought that was hysterical i've been thinking about that moment too since i saw it because it just was so perfectly timed and kaluuya and her have such a connection that moment you really buy them as like yeah. siblings it's really wonderful totally yeah um this movie had a strong box office but it's noticeably below us and i think that's to be expected us coming off get out Nope, coming off us, which is well liked but po- more polarizing, right? Mm-hmm. That being said, this is still the best start for an original studio film since a movie called Us in 2019. So hard to be too critical of how this movie's doing. Yeah, I, I think like- it's also sorry before you go on. I just want to say Us yeah. had maybe the greatest like movie trailer ever, like that and like Black the first Black Panther. Those like yes. the music matched with like the scenes that they chose were like yeah, the, got people dun, really dun, dun, dun. Yeah, the yeah. slowed down five on it, amazing. Yeah, sorry, what was your second point there? No, yeah, I, I think I'm curious to see how well this movie legs out because I would like to think word of mouth would be strong because I do think it's pretty entertaining. It ha- doesn't have an A cinema score; it's in the B's, so that's. Like it's not really a horror movie, so I don't know how to how, how to couch a reading of a score like that. But yeah, I mean, regardless, I think uh, Jordan Peele clearly three for three. Um, no word on what his next movie is, as far as we can tell. But um, you know, he he does a lot of producing too, which we we've talked about yeah. before. He's a bit more up and down in the stuff he produces, mm-hmm. but so are many people. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just I think the the big takeaway with Nope is it's it's not what you think it is. Yeah, and. It's not easy to predict, but once you understand what it is that you're watching, it's like wow, it's like there's really a lot to lot to stew on. And yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I think the big takeaway for me, at least in terms of Peel's career, is just how with Get Out, it felt like he was going to be a very pure horror voice, which he might be. But there was a lot more Spielberg influence in this. You know, this is very Jaws or Close Encounters type feeling than it is something like from John Carpenter, I'd say. And so when you think about that, it's like maybe we're seeing him like start to expand the kind of director he can be and the kind of stories that we're going to get from him, or at least like how the movies will be. Because like you said, this isn't a pure horror movie. It's more thrilling in a lot of ways. There's definitely some scary moments. And I think that just opens the door for even more potential for Pia, which is hard to like hard to like say i expected going in because we already kind of thought the sky was the limit for him but right man just just awesome to see 
So keep making original movies. I'm sure IP gets thrown in his face constantly, but he, I'm sure it seems to be pretty good at saying no. So let's hope. That well, he continues. was he was doing the um, what was it, the Twilight Zone stuff. So that's right. Yeah, guys, IP stuff. But anyways, what else? Uh, what are we gonna be talking about next week? Let's wrap up there. Yeah, next week. So I got some interesting stuff. Maggie Rogers come back industry season two on hbo paper girls debut after a long time in the can on amazon fox search a movie called not okay coming out on hulu supposed to be pretty good and then an album from a little person called beyonce that we'll talk oh. about too yeah uh, someone new to talk about that's great uh hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod go to our twitter at nostalgia pod and go to our link tree to follow the podcast any other way you want to and of course go to spotify and follow our nostalgia best of 2022 to hear all the music that we like we'll see you next week peace out yeah.